This is a warning to all living mortals that on the 13th of December, Moose will release 13 of the most terrifying interviews of horror unto the world. That's right, 13 brand new episodes in the month of December leading up to our season premiere. And until then, horror hounds, mash on. Christmas, Moose brought to me Corin Nemec from Stargate SG-1 and another holiday horror, Rotten Tail. Welcome horror hounds, this is Moose's Monster Mash and I'm your host Moose and today is the start of the third annual Moose's 13 Horrifying Days of Christmas, and I couldn't think of anyone better to kick us off than someone who's been, I mean, he's been a serial killer, he's traveled through space, the the guy just can't lose. Please welcome Mr. Corin Nemec. Hello everyone, how are you? So, how's life? It's good. It's very good. Uh, I'm, I'm living the dream. <laughs> so before we get into your, like, before we start diving into your career, I want to ask, out of everything you do, what do you get asked about, about the most? Um, I, you know, it really depends on, on the time period, you know, but uh, but uh, obviously of, uh, of, of late, um, it's not a little hair snap through there. Uh, of late, you know, when I go to conventions and whatnot, you know, I obviously get asked uh, primarily about Stargate SG-1 or uh, my experience working with, uh, with, with the handsome Winchester brothers on Supernatural or, uh, uh, or my time spent uh, back in the day, obviously because of the, the, the pop culture uh, uh, kind of ramifications of having been a, a teen star uh, being on Parker Lewis and, uh, and, and other items. I mean, there's, you know, there, there's a lot of projects, obviously, in between um, having having really never gone a year without working, except for the year I spent in in physical uh, uh, therapy after a um, an onset accident uh, down in Belize, where I, I shattered my femur into seven pieces. Uh, but uh, you know, that that was the only time that I that I haven't consistently worked. But the obscurity of the work is, uh, you know. Maybe one thing, but you know, I, I I went to the Michael Caine school of acting in that you, you never say no, uh, and and when you do accept a project that, that you uh, may not think is is a very good project, you know, you bring your all to the table and you deliver the best that you can, and and uh, and at least uh, uh, what people will walk away with at the end of the day, having watched something that wasn't so great, was that. At least, maybe I would stand out, you know, uh, in in the role that I played in in whatever the uh, the production was, uh, whether it be you know one of the ridiculous sci-fi uh, creature features that I've done over the years, like Mansquito or uh, Sand Sharks or Dragon Wasps or Drone Wars or uh, Raging Sharks or uh, Robo Robo Croc or <laughs> You know, the list goes on. <laughs> you know, it, it's funny that you say that because I picked, like, out of your entire uh, credit list, I picked three that I, I kind of want to delve a little deeper into today. And I, the, the reason I picked them is because of your range and that when looking at the reviews of these movies, there was one... There was one recurring comment and that was 
that your performance was the standout performance. So it, it, it's interesting that, you know, that that's your mindset going into. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd like to, I'd like to thank Michael Kane first of all, as I accept this award for uh, outstanding performance in a B movie. <laughs> Before we get into that, I mean, you've had, you know, like you mentioned, three essentially pop culture tentpole projects with, I mean, Parker Lewis, Supernatural, and Stargate. Those, I think, are going to forever be your, uh, you know, you're just reoccurring, hey, I know him from that. And I, I think in a situation like that, it, it works out great because it keeps it'll keep getting people introduced to you. Um, I do want to talk Stargate a little bit because, uh-huh. you know, you came in as a uh, temporary replacement and ended up as, like, a fan favorite. So does that, like, get surreal at all? I mean, on a show that... I mean, this was, like, a powerhouse show at the time. Yeah. Um, not 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 really. I mean, I, for me, uh, the, uh, you know, the... The coming in afterwards, oddly enough, we started shooting that just really before the, the internet kind of came into play. They were still receiving actual fan mail at the uh, PR department of Stargate there, um, physical letters. And um, in the lead up to my being cast uh, to replace Daniel Jackson's character, well, you know, which was, there was no uh, bad blood when he left the show. He, he, he chose to to go on and do some other things uh, before being brought back. But um, uh, unfortunately, the, at that time, you know, obviously he, he had a huge fan base and they, they received, before any episode ever even aired uh, for Stargate when it changed over to Sci-Fi Channel, they received uh, box loads of, of mail, uh, very upset about Daniel uh, leaving the show and me being brought on and them wanting Daniel back. And obviously Sci-Fi Channel was well, was, was receiving the same mail. Um, you know, so by the time the, the, the episodes even aired, uh, started airing, uh, the, the, there was already the decision basically being made behind the scenes to see if they could bring Daniel back because of this kind of backlash uh, from from the fandom and the concern that uh, how it would affect the, the potential ratings of the future of the show, so it wasn't even that that, that, that my character was not well received. Uh, what ended up happening is that that after the decision was made, the character then you know came out and and people really liked it, and even people who who had sent letters started sending letters saying, oh you know what I'm sorry can we I keep him? So you know, <laughs> different things. So, you know, I mean, I think that there, that there was because of that that sort of uh, uh, that that lag, that communication lag for for that for that time period of the early two thousands, uh, where the internet hadn't quite caught up yet. There, you know, there wasn't a really uh, you know a, a direct reference from from the fandom out there because uh, obviously the people who who found out that I was coming on to the show. Who maybe had never watched Stargate on on Showtime, uh, were, were potentially were very excited about it, but they're not so excited they're going to write a letter to MGM <laughs> or you know Sci-Fi Channel about it. Only the the, the most hardened, ardent you know fans of, of the show over the previous five seasons uh, were going to go to such extreme measures as actually sitting down and and and, and writing a hand a handwriting a letter. You know, and, and buying, going to the post office and buying stamps, unless they have a drawer full of stamps there at the house for this very reason, uh, you know, ready to go. So, you know, the, the, it is unfortunate how that all, that all played out because, uh, uh, the character was a lot of fun to do. I would have loved to have, have, have played with that character and played in that world a lot more, uh, than, than was, uh, you know, was, was offered by the, by the production, but, I can also see why, you know, once you once you go through with a decision like that, you kind of got to stick to it. I mean, they could have come back and and reintroduced my character here and there and, you know, whatnot. But I think at that point, you know, once you close a door on something on a series that big and everything, you know, 
I, I, I think you kind of have to just keep rolling with the punches until you get to the end. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, as a fan of the show, it was it was almost like a breath of fresh air when uh, your character came in. And, you know, and I don't say that as like, oh, everyone was getting boring. It was just, you know, I mean, at this point, you've gotten used to the entire cast. So, you know, you're, you know, here comes Jonas Quinn, shakes things up a little bit. And you have this like, you have this like starry eyed uh, traveler who is getting to see the universe for the first time. It's, it was almost like the fans were getting to be in the show because that was almost how the fans look at the show. I mean, each, each episode was a new adventure and just there was that like innate excitement each time. Yeah. 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 And and, and the fans like snacking too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it it is funny that you, you know, it, it is funny that you brought up the, you know, letter, essentially letter writing campaign. We're, you know, 20 plus years removed from that and it's weird to see just how much everything has changed you know you used to have to sit down write a letter put it in an envelope put a stamp on it mail it off just to get your complaint heard now you could fire it off in under three seconds with a character yeah, yeah, exactly. on it. and it's just like no, yeah no all, all you need all you need is a, is a sad face emoji yeah and, you know whatever you don't even have to write a letter. You don't even have to write words anymore. You know, it just it, it, it it's mind blowing. Just where everything's transformed in the last twenty years. Yeah, yeah. And I think at, at the same time, it, it, it's interesting to see how quickly that uh, the narratives can shift as well. Uh, you know, so if if the same kind of thing were happening, uh, if like on Star Gate, for instance, if if, if the same. Uh, uh, transition from from me, me me coming on the show versus uh, uh, Michael Shanks and all of that, and if all of that was happening real time on 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 in the Twitterverse and on whatever other medium that there is, you know, if all of that was kind of simultaneously occurring, you know, that there would be a a far more kind of balanced look at, you know, what 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 was the fandom really really you know, uh, thinking about this because like I said, you know, I mean, only, only the most ardent, hardcore, you know, supporters are, are, are writing letters. I mean, obviously they got enough letters, but you know, he was, he was absolutely one of the most revered and adored, uh, uh, characters on the show. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I wasn't, uh, even though it was a little bit of a gut punch, I, I, I understood it wasn't like I, I couldn't look at it as from a producer, from a producer's point of view. And see the logical sense in bringing the original team back together. It makes perfect sense to do something like that, you know. Well, and yeah, I mean, from like a producer standpoint, from looking at it from like the fan standpoint, it's any time you have a chance to reconnect the you know originals, you take that route. I mean, it's the same in music. It's you know just across the board. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, normally, I'd ask how you get you know, how you got started in the business, but you, your, your family is in the business. I mean, <laughs> you, yeah, you, you yeah, were almost true. destined to be in, uh, the film industry at some, on some level. Yeah. I think the art, I think probably destined more like in, to, to be in the arts and entertainment business in some, uh, in some level. Uh, uh, the acting thing really, really came about, because uh, because of the movie The Goonies. Now, my, my father was uh, was assistant art director on mm-hmm. The Goonies and and was uh, was in charge of, of designing the pirate ship and the interior of the cave and then a bunch of other. So you uh, know the most iconic stuff. shots from the movie. Yeah. You know, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but he uh, jo- Joseph Nemec the third is his is his name. But uh, um, they, whether he worked on the film or not, I didn't get to visit set or anything while they were in production on that. Um, me and my sister generally, I was living in, in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, up until the mid eighties of, of having been born in Arkansas and then moved to Atlanta. So my mom could pursue a career, um, as a graphic designer in the music business. Um, so she, she had, she had gone from, um, uh, working, uh, you know, working graphic design at like Home Depot and places like that for their, their advertising department. And then finally got into doing, uh, 
uh, product, uh, I'm sorry, graphic design for a big promotional company called Standing Room Only in the, in the 70s and eight, in early 80s doing uh, poster design for all of the rock bands they brought in. And the, these guys were doing the, the biggest of the biggest shows, you know, Joan Jett, uh, um, Hall & Oates, Jay, Jay Giles Band, uh, Leonard Skinner, Prince, you know, I mean, the, the biggest the biggest shows they were the promoters for. So she, she was, we, I, I grew up going to all these rock concerts and, and uh, uh, you know, going backstage and meeting all these rockers and everything on my mom's side. And it was cool that she was doing this, you know, the posters that they would go and staple around all over town and everything like that, you know, or the posters that you'd see in the local magazines in, in Georgia and surrounding areas and all that. She, she was that she was designing all of, all of those. So uh, so that was really cool. And then she ended up transferring uh, over from from their design department. Uh, to working for the Fox Theater in Atlanta, which is owned by the Niederlander family, and uh, and started doing um, poster design for plays and musicals, um, and uh, and then over uh, over time she she put in for a transfer out to the Pantages Theater in Hollywood. They they were uh, opening up new positions out there, and uh, you know she was good enough to be accepted, and and that's how we ended up moving to Hollywood uh, from Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, in, in the, in the meantime, I would travel back and forth to, from California, from uh, Atlanta to California with my sister to visit my dad over our summer breaks, uh, you know, uh, and, and, yeah. uh, we would go on whatever sets he was working on. So I got to see behind the scenes of the theater business, the rock and roll business, the music business, and got to get a load of mostly the creative side in terms of the design side from the, you know, the art department and the, the set design and the construction and, you know, the graphic design departments and all of that, you know, so I haven't gotten, uh, came out to Hollywood when my mom transferred, uh, uh, to the Pantages theater. I started going to Walter Reed junior high school and there was a kid named David Van Gorder. And I was actually in a graphic design class in eighth grade. A guy named Mr. Mendez was our teacher there. And it was a great graphic design class. It was amazing. They even offered it at an eighth grade level in junior high out in California. But the, but the arts programs at that eight, at that time period in the eight, I don't know how they are now, but the arts programs in the, in the eighties and early nineties, uh, in, in the LA County school systems were really, really great. I mean, I was, you know, then they still had machine shop and you know what I mean? All of that, you know, you could go learn how to fix cars. You could do all the fun had, ones. Wood shop. Yeah. They had wood shop. They had an electrician's class. They had, you know, all of the trade type type stuff, you know, which was great, you know, great for, for, for young kids, uh, uh, and, and in fact, I, I mean, I know numerous people that I went to school with who were in some of those shops that ended up working in, you know, in, in those industries later on in life, oddly enough. But uh, but that said, um, uh, I, this kid, David Van Gorder, who was in my class, he was currently at that time in the, in the mid 80s, very famous for being in a, in a uh, Van Halen music video called Hot for Teacher, where he played Waldo, the nerdy, the nerdy class, uh, the nerdy student who was hot for his teacher. And, uh, and so I was obviously blown away by his stardom, <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, oh my God, you're Waldo! What? <laughs> He's insane! I can't believe I'm sitting across the table from you, you know? So, uh, he happened to be in an acting, in an acting school at the time, uh, called Center Stage LA. The artistic director, a gentleman named Kevin McDermott, was just a, was just a brilliant, brilliant, uh, um, uh, teacher for young adults. Uh, and, and young kids. I think, I think he probably taught from his students, it may be an age range from about 12 to, to 18. Um, but, uh, you know, he was just fantastic. He had a real great, um, uh, method that he used a lot of improvisation, which really helps, you know, the, a young talented mind get, get away from, from the insecurities and, and anxiety of, of memorization of a script. And, and, and the performance of kind of a well-thought-out character to being able to kind of live and breathe within a character and allow for, you know, spontaneity. Uh, and, uh, and so he, his class, he, he would do um, work, uh, obviously it was more of a workshop than it was a, a theater company, but uh, uh, he did have an Im improvisational troupe as well for, for young adults age 12 to 17 called Off the Wall that I did some performances with and performed, they you know, performed at the Laugh Factory, the comedy store that, you know, with early, early shows, like it'd be like the opening show would be, you know, this group of young kids, you know, doing, 
doing uh, 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 improvisational routines, you know, for an audience before before the naughty stuff came out. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it was it was a really cool idea and really a, a great experience, uh, you know, in 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 spontaneity and in thinking on your feet and all of that. So um, when he would have uh, showcases. And, and he would do scene work and all of that with his students. Agents and managers would flock to his his showcases. You know, I mean, almost everybody in his class got signed, you know, to an agent or manager at some point uh, in, in their in their time studying there. So I signed within a, within six to eight months of studying there. I signed with an agency and started auditioning uh, right away. And, and my, my first audition was for a Suzuki motorcycle commercial with Paul Ventura casting. And it was a really big campaign ad for the 1986 Super Bowl, uh, and uh, and I landed the job. Uh, it was my very first audition, very first acting job, and 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 I got it. And, uh, and it, you know, and and then Paul Ventura ended up casting me in, you know, uh, eight to ten other commercials over the next five years or so. You know, uh, great great guy, and uh, I have to really you know credit him to to a lot. You know, he really. Uh, he spoke very highly of me to other casting directors, and he really, really championed me and, and saw me as being something much bigger than a commercial actor. And uh, and I, I think that he probably did uh, he probably did a lot of good for me that I don't know about. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, in terms of, of terms of the, the social scene of, of casting directors in Hollywood and how they talk to each other about about talent. But uh, so then it was off to the races. That shortly after that, I I, I ended up. Uh, Getting the movie Tucker, A Man in His Dream, you know, within 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 months of doing that commercial and uh, playing Jeff Bridges' son, uh, and once I got that film, I mean, everybody in town wanted to be on that movie. Oh, yeah. So once I got cast for that, once I got cast for that, I was I was uh, I was suddenly auditioning for much more important and bigger roles when I got back from filming. Uh, in fact, I auditioned for Stand by Me uh, for both Will Wheaton and River Phoenix's role. But River Phoenix's role, I was too skinny for, and for Will Wheaton's role, I, I wasn't nerdy, uh, nerdy enough. So, but I did audition for both of them, and I was highly considered, you know. So I was like, I was so bummed not to get that movie. I mean, that would have been, oh, yeah. if I just had a little more meat on my bones, I could have given, I could have given River Phoenix a run for his money. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a feather in your cap. <laughs> but, um, but that said. Um, you know, then then I went on and, and got sold out by my agency to do the the last season of Webster, playing Nikki Papadopoulos, his live-in cousin, uh, for its final. I think it was its twelfth season, its final season on air, whatever it's whatever the season it was. It was some ridiculous number, but uh, but you know that was a miserable experience uh, uh, working on that show, and I vowed never to do another half-hour comedy again. But that was really just because of the people involved in it. They were just, ma'am and George were awful people. Uh, Emmanuel Lewis was a fantastic person. Mamma George, I've, Alex Harris is, I guess I remember his name now. I can't, I've blotted her name out of my mind because they were just such terrible, terrible people to work with. Uh, but, uh, yeah, there's a lot of stories behind that hilarious one. We could do an entire episode just on working on Webster alone. Um, but, uh, they had this, one of the stories is really funny. They had this, the lady, when I first started working on this, the lady that they, they brought in to do makeup. I mean, she was old as Methuselah. I mean, she was just, I, she had these giant bifocal lenses and she was, I mean, uh, I, I don't know how she got around without a walker, you know, uh, but, uh, and God bless her. She had been in the industry since like Charlie Chaplin or something, you know what I mean? And, uh, and she was, uh, she was used to doing, uh, she, she was, I, I mean, from what she said, she was used to doing black and white makeup. I don't know what she was talking about, but so she 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 had done this this palette on my face. It was like a really bright orange, I guess that they that they used to use in in I don't know for for some some way to bring out your flesh tones in black and white. I don't know, but I I ended up looking uh looking looking like Trump after CNN changed the color filtration <laughs> on him. And, uh, and, and, I, and so I go out and I'm looking at myself in the mirror, looking like an Oopa Loopa and, uh, and just going, are you sure that this is right? Like, and she, oh yeah, yeah, this is how I've always done it. And da, 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 da. And I'm like, which producer's grandmother is this? I, I but anyway, um, like, where's so, the nepotism here? <laughs> so I, so I, yeah, I walk on set and, you know, the directors of those shows, they work from a directing booth, 
usually outside the studio or up in a studio box or something. And so you never really see them on set very much. And so I'm sitting there and I'm, and I'm just, I'm already mortified, you know, because I know that I look, because everybody else had their own, their own special, uh, uh, makeup artists. All the other cast had specialty, you know, that they, that, oh, from being on the show for years. So, yeah. you know, they just, they just brought somebody out of the broom closet for me, you know, uh, and, uh, and so I go and I, and I'm sit, I sit on set and, and, and we start running through the, you know, the first scene and everything. And I do my entrance. I come out and I sit down on the couch and I'm doing the scene. And like, you just hear this, hold on, 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 stop. Okay, stop, 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 stop. Uh, why is his face so orange? You know, uh, from, from the voice of God and everything. And I'm like, I told you, I knew it was too orange, you know, and it just, uh, you know, and I, and it's just like, it just led to like my, me being the, you know, sort of like, again, coming new onto a show, being a new character introduced and all of this stuff, you know, there's, I'm already like, you know, on pins and needles as it is. And, you know, and, and then, then, then here I thought they were going to be filming me and putting this out on network television with an orange face, you know, and I was like, oh my God, is this how I'm going to look on TV? And like, you know, so they, 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 they did get their makeup right, but, uh, uh, but you know, it was just a one in a series of of just events on that show that maybe not want to do half hour sitcom, which um, uh, which later uh, when I when I got offered the role of Parker Lewis, uh, I had turned down like six times because I thought it was a half hour sitcom, and and they explained to me that it was going to be shot like Three O'clock High, which was one of my favorite movies in in the late '80s. I thought it was a brilliant film with Casey Chamasco, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a bully but a beat a guy up at the end of the day film. And, uh, and it's, and so when I realized what they were going to do with it, I was, I, I was all in, uh, I'm very excited to be a part of the show and, and so excited that I, that, that I had the opportunity to be on that show in retrospect. But, uh, but I, I really only got that show previous to that. I had done, uh, after, after, uh, Webster thankfully got canceled. I did, I know my first name is Steven, which was a, 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 a very heavy dramatic miniseries. Um, uh, playing a, a, a child who was kidnapped and, and escaped, you know, seven years later and had to readjust to, to life, uh, you know, uh, having been an abused and kidnapped child for years, uh, you know, readjusted life in the normal world. Uh, uh, very, I got an Emmy nomination for that when I was 15, uh, which I believe at the time, I, if I remember correctly, I was the youngest person ever to be nominated for an Emmy. That's crazy. Um, but, uh, but th- th- that said, uh, I went on right after that and did um, a TV special for CBS called uh, What's Alan Watching with Eddie Murphy Productions. Eddie Murphy was in it. Uh, I-, I played this character, Alan, who was had a really messed up family life and, and would escape by watching TV and could interact with the characters on TV. And-, and-, and all the TV shows I was watching were like Saturday Night Live skits, you know. They had Gandhi on Ice and James Brown, the musical from prison, and all of these crazy stories, you know. And so obviously Eddie Murphy was playing these different characters. My parents were Barbara Barry and Peter Michael Getz. Uh, Fran Drescher was my sister in it, you know. Uh, the Smothers Brothers had a, had a cameo in it, uh, you know. The, uh, I mean, the, the, the cameos were, were, were crazy. I can't even remember all the cameos that were in it. But uh, it was a, a you know, really great show, and at the time, uh, at, that was at CBS, and at the time, um, uh, Clyde Phillips was over at CBS. He, he was the, he he had been the uh, showrunner and creator of Houston Nights for CBS, and been assigned to create a a half hour uh, teenage you know uh, sitcom series for them, um, and uh, had developed Parker Lewis uh, after ha- uh, and then after having uh, seen What's Out and Watching, which was at CBS, had me in mind for the character ever since then unbeknownst to me so you know that 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 little tv special you know really played a huge part in in his being adamant that i play the character of 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 parker lewis uh, you know uh, because he he was such a fan of of what they did with uh with um uh what's alan watching so um but uh, but that said uh uh on uh on uh uh, what time I'm watching it was, it was just a, it was a fly by night came and went kind of a TV special that not many people saw, but sort of has a cult classic following to it, uh, in a lot of ways. But, but Clyde Phillips, so, you know, he, he, he's, he went on to, to, you know, create and show run Dexter after, after that and, and a bunch of other stuff. He's, he's just been a powerhouse in the industry. 
but uh so him and him and Lon Diamond, who he brought on to, to do the show with him, they, uh, they 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 got the show got passed on by CBS, so they retained the rights to it and took it over to Fox a couple of years later. So so the show itself was actually created before Ferris Bueller ever came out. But I think it, the success of Ferris Bueller is what reignited an interest in this show that they had kind of created uh, previous to that. So a lot of people think that Parker Lewis was sort of a uh, an advent of Ferris Bueller, but in re- in, in in reality. It was uh, it was dreamt up before Ferris Bueller, but the fact that Ferris Bueller was such a huge success likely led to Fox's uh, interest in in greenlighting green lighting it and pushing uh, Parker forward. Lewis, uh, Parker Lewis can't Lewis. But yeah, Parker Lewis can't Lewis. Because they also did uh, Ferris Bueller, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, the TV series with Charlie Schlater, which was a well done series, but it just didn't you know people just didn't want to see that as a TV series, uh, and we ended up uh, coming out at the exact same time. Uh, the same year and everything on competing networks and, uh, and, and we got picked up and they were canceled after 13 episodes. So that was like a, a really big deal for us at the time that we beat Ferris Bueller. Well, just and, Lewis Lewis. right. So, and yeah, I mean, one of the charms of, uh, Ferris Bueller is, uh, Matthew Broderick. You take him out of the equation. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it's a different feeling. Yeah, I mean, I will say that you know Charlie Slater did a really uh, a really good job bringing that character uh, to life, but you know, uh, I, I it's just almost impossible to do it with a new cast. Oh yeah, you know that's that's really difficult to do. You were growing up in essentially the boom of what is modern horror. Were you a fan of the movies like you know Freddy, Jason, Michael Myers, all of them? Like when you were a teenager, or no? I, I, in all honesty, you know the the uh, horror films were just kind of cringy to me. Not in a cringy in a, in a way where like, oh, that's so cheesy or whatever. It's just I just don't like the experience of of a horror movie. You know, I don't I don't really like what it what it does, what the the feelings that it provokes, and all of that. It's just not it's not really that enjoyable to me. I love suspense and thrillers, movies like Shattered. Uh, and, you know, in the horror genre, movies like The Shining, mm-hmm. uh, or, or Rosemary's Baby, or more psychological thrillers. I don't need to see less you know, slasher, more being, mind. Uh... Yeah, yeah, less slasher. You know, you know that's that, that's more my bag. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I'm currently actually writing films uh, for uh, that, that, that have been landing on Lifetime Movie Channel, but. Uh, but we're in the thriller genre, so you know I have one that I just finished uh, that, that we just shot down in Mississippi uh, called Lady Justice uh, with Kelly Sullivan and uh, myself. Uh, Jason London's got a nice part in it. Uh, Brian Krause plays the male lead in it because uh, uh, I mean I could have wrote myself as a, as the male lead, but uh, but producing as well behind the scenes, I was wearing so many different hats. It, it just wouldn't have been smart for me to. Uh, you know, to, to take on, uh, you know, uh, all of the, uh, all of the uh, responsibilities and Brian Krause, who's a great friend of mine, uh, and, and also is just such a talented actor brought this character to life in a way that, that I wouldn't have thought of. Uh, and I'm, 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 I'm really happy with how it turned out. So Lady Justice will be out sometime next year, uh, as well. And, uh, but, uh, but currently writing, writing and producing, uh, is, is, has been my bag for the last, uh, you know, the last 10 years or so, uh, starting about 15 years ago is when I really started pushing to, to, to expand my, you know, myself into that, into that area. It's very difficult in Hollywood to convince, uh, uh, you know, people that you're something other than what they've already designated you yeah. as. So, uh, you know, you, you would think that being a writer, uh, and being an actor and having some notoriety would help get your scripts on somebody's desk. But in reality, there's, kind of a compartmentalization you know in hollywood uh between the different uh, you know the 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 the, uh uh the different categories you know the different departments you know what i mean uh you you would uh like let's say let's say you know your best boy on your grip department you know uh is, is on set and 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 they're casting for one of the characters next week and you know and he goes up and he goes hey man i know i'm just best boy and everything but you should really let me audition for that that role, I think I'd be great for it. You know, the average producer is going to go, "Oh, that's that's wonderful. Yeah, 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 great, good, good. Looking at you, get back to your job." <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and, you know, 
and and stay in your lane kind of thing, you know, which is understandable because in in many respects the the the, the movie industry is run uh, like 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 the military, you know, and it has to be. It's got it's there, there's such a regimen that it has to be uh, uh, lived up to when it comes to, to to producing a successful movie from beginning to end without ha- without running into you know uh, uh, too many obstacles uh, that 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 could. Potentially, you know, throw your project uh, off budget or completely uh, end end its production. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, and you know, it's you know, look, looking at the span of your career, you know, we go from this little orange faced kid on the couch to you know where I kind of want to start talking, and you uh, you play two of America's most prolific serial killers. Ted Bundy and... Uh, Richard Speck. Richard Speck. Jesus. And it's funny. I know the name. I can't believe I screwed that up. Just, just, think, of, just think of Dick Speck. Yeah. It's, it, it's right Dick there. Little Dick Speck. Oh, little Dick Speck. Watching the films, it, it's, and this is where I, you know, I mentioned earlier your, your range. It's such a departure from what you're used to seeing, you know, the, the roles you're used to seeing you pick up. And I, I wanted to ask you, you know, having played those roles, like, what is, you know, what kind of headspace does it take to get into, like, tapping into those roles? Because th- th- those aren't good people. <laughs> I mean. No, you, yeah, exactly. I mean, in, in all honesty, uh, the, you know, my, my job as an actor is, 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 you know, is to create, a, is to hopefully create a believable character and, uh within within the context of the storyline and uh you know uh, breathe that character into existence you know within the scene work and uh and and the rest i I really you know i have to disengage from in terms of my personal uh uh, point of view and uh and such because if you know if if i if i concerned myself with you know with with my point of view on these guys i wouldn't have taken the roles you know, because they're disgusting, vile yeah. human, uh, and uh, and I and I don't think that these that these kind of characters should be idolized in uh, in, in in our pop culture uh, versus you know great great people like John Lennon or Bob Marley, mm-hmm. you know, or or even people you know on the more obscure side like you know like why, why aren't we bringing up like an Aldous Huxley or or or, or hell you know. Uh, uh, um, uh, Manly P. Hall, or, or 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 some other kind of you know more interesting character you know archetypes from from the from our history that that have a lot more to offer than than mass murderers. But that said, you know, uh, as as a as a character, um, uh, you know, as an actor uh, to to develop and, and and create a character that that is uh, of that ill, you know, is is a is a fascinating psychological journey. Uh, and, and for me playing the role of, uh, of Richard Speck was, was far easier, uh, and, and far more uh, now, you know, oddly enjoyable, you know, from an acting standpoint, yeah. creating some of those scenes because the character was, was, uh, was, you could say medically insane. I mean, the guy was 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 literally a lunatic oh, yeah. you know and and they didn't really address it but he was he was a, a, a speed freak he was hopped up on reds all the time mm-hmm. he was an alcoholic he had you know and he was insane so you know that it, it was a combination that just was ripe for for a terrible outcome at some point down the road um and uh you know, but but the character itself was 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 easier for me to embrace because he was insane. Whereas with Ted Bundy, all I kept finding in him was more and more calculative sanity. Yeah. You know, and that 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 he he was so much more aware and conniving and and understanding of his actions. Whereas Richard Speck did all of this in one night, in a night in one night of insanity of of peaked insanity. Because he was living in insanity every day, and it finally mm-hmm. peaked in that one night, you know, and it was a horrifying night that, that, that it was. Whereas Ted Bundy stretched this whole insanity out over years and years and years. You just can't do that if you're that crazy. You know what I mean? If it's you're that no, it's crazy, very, it's very cold, calculated, and uh, directed. You know.
know, it, it was it was it was creepier. It was very creepy to, to put on the skin of this character uh, and and believe in 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 uh, in his choices and 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 you know, it was easier to believe in Richard Speck's choices because of his drug addiction and his alcoholism and his insanity, his obvious insanity by his regular everyday behavior. Whereas Ted Bundy, the average person had no clue that this guy was behaving so insanely, which is frightening. It's terrifying. You know, the, 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 the you know, the murderer next door. Yeah. And I, I, I want to be careful how I phrase this thought because I, I, I know what I'm thinking, but I, I want to make sure the words come out right. The end of Bundy, your portrayal of his demise is very human. You, you took this like larger than life monster, this cold calculated monster and made him human. And you don't see that very often in like the thousands of you know Bundy films yeah and what I'm talking about is going to his execution I mean he's fighting he's crying I mean he's finally at this breaking point that you know and it's just like you know as somebody you know if you know know, as you know the story you're like well that's what you deserve but you know it's almost sympathetic but you're like ah no don't don't feel sympathy for it you know, yeah, but I, a, I do want to say your the, the way you hit it was phenomenal. Yeah. Well, yeah. For me, that in in uh, in understanding, uh, you know, because obviously the research I did for the character, uh, and and having you know read what what his actual reactions were and all of that, you know, my my psychoanalysis of that was was just this was the moment when suddenly his fantasy world collapsed Mm -hmm. and he he was forced into present time and uh and and you know and that's how he he, his his true reaction his true self the true horror of it all was finally awakened you know uh and 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 that's that's really what what i drew from in in uh in creating that moment was uh, was just sort of like the playing out of, uh, of of the movie in his own mind, and him seeing all of the horrors for what they really are, and realizing that he's about to he's about to you know uh, uh, take Sharon's boat across the river sticks with no pennies. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Speaking of monsters, we're we're going to move into one of my new favorite. Films that I wish I knew, I, I wish I'd paid closer attention to and realized when it came out because I think I would have jumped onto it a lot sooner. And that's Rotten Tail. Yeah. Oh my God. So I was watching it the other night and it might be one of my new favorite, like, campy horror movies ever. It, it, it's so fun. And you get to. You know, you, you have these two different roles. You have your, your, your Peter Cotton and then Rotten Tail. And two very stark, you know, starkly different characters. And, God, it is so fun to watch. Yeah, I, uh, you know, the, the, that was my first time working with Brian Skiba, who I just I just finished a, another film with uh, in New Mexico that I co-wrote with him. Uh, called Dead Man's Hand that's based on a graphic novel by Source Point Press as well, who also published uh, Rotten Tail, uh, which came out in the late 90s and, and was one of their kind of like sleeper cult, cult hits yeah. for their for their independent publishing house. And they have some great, great comics. I mean, they have a really great catalog of comics, uh, Source Point Press. There's they, some great guys over there. The Minor Brothers did the... Uh, uh, the, the Dead Man's Hand series, which there's three of them. So I imagine that there's, if the success of this one, uh, which, which we have, uh, Stephen Dorff, Cole Hauser, and Jack Kilmer, the son of Al Kilmer, they're, they're, they're starring as the, the three lead males in it. Uh, uh, and, uh, obviously it's a masculine driven piece, uh, uh, but not that it has to be being a Western, but in this case, it just happens to be, uh, more of a masculine driven, uh, storyline. But, uh, but that said, um, you know, it's a great cast, a great story, and, and it was great to come back with, with Skiba again. It's about the fifth film I've, been, I've done with him. 
uh, several that I've written as well in the past uh, that he directed. But um, uh, on on Rotten Tail, you know, that the, the the opportunity to kind of do this, uh, I, I looked at it as as being kind of like the fly. You know, mm-hmm. this character sort of goes through this slow trans, not as slow and methodical of a transition as uh, as was portrayed in The Fly, but you know, this this great sort of transition where it doesn't happen all at once that this character just suddenly, you know, uh, metamorphs into uh, in, into his alter ego, but that it happens over a period of of days. And, uh, and, and it gave a, a great opportunity for the, 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 the unconscious sort of shift to happen as, as Rotten Tail was taking over Peter, Peter Cotton's mind, and then eventually both mind and body, uh, and then becoming, you know, this Rotten Tail character who I really didn't get the character down until the teeth were made. Once, uh, once the teeth were made and I was able to put the teeth in and find the voice, uh, and and all of that, you know, the character really came to life, uh, you know, as 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 this really sort of uh, uh, humorously narcissistic, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, browbeaten bully hater, you know, uh, <laughs> that, that that finally gets to uh, 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 seek revenge and 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 possibly uh, go after the the woman of his dreams, uh, you know, it. Uh, it, it was uh, very amusing. I actually, uh, I, I had submitted it, but they, but they were talking about possibly doing another, uh, another short or something of Rotten Tail, and I, and I actually wrote an, a, a follow up to it uh, about what happens when he's on his way to Easter Falls and he's stuck in the desert for the night. Uh, you know, when he, uh, uh, when he's on his scooter and he runs out of gas. Uh, so I, I wrote a whole little story that takes place just in that little tiny. You know, kind of sixteen-hour period before he he uh, finds himself in Easter Falls, which is pretty funny. But uh, but that said, uh, they, they you know Brian Steve did a bang-up job. You know, unbeknown uh, unknown to, uh, to 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 anybody, our uh, our set for the, uh, the the Adobe Church, the old Adobe Church, was washed away in a flash flood several days before filming, and, oh, no. and they ended up having to they ended up having to construct from whatever was left over whatever they could find anything they had to put together that 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 set that we ended up shooting in which was which was really unfortunate because they had spent quite a bit of money from the budget on on uh, on the original set which was much better uh than that one but with some trick lighting and some some sneaky photography by by steve and his dp uh they were able to hide uh you know some some of the poor the, the hide the poor quality of that particular set well, I, th- I think it also, you know, a situation like that kind of works for the story because, I mean, you know, it's a story about saving that church or demolishing that church, depending on yeah. you know, where the story goes. So it, it you it should be in this, like, like, right in the middle of this, like, dilapidation, almost solid but not quite too solid state, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Um, I did want to ask, where did Rotten Tail's voice come from? The the voice? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's well. Again, like I really uh, when, when I once I got the teeth in and finding the difficulty in in uh, in in the in talking with the teeth in because it was it was uh, cumbersome to talk, you know, uh, around the teeth. And so the more guttural and the more I spoke from the back of my mouth. The easier it was to to to, uh, to for the for the inflection of the of the dialogue to come through, uh, and because it was it was talking regular, it was really sloppy and slurry and you know because those damn teeth. So it, you know I had to really bring it. You know you know I, I can't even do it now, uh, but I had to really bring it way down. At, you know in order to in order to be understood, and even then we had to redo takes because you just couldn't understand what the hell I was saying. Oh yeah. <laughs> Well, and like when people have asked me over the last couple of days, you know, how I would describe the movie, uh, you know, it, the, the, the voice tripped something in my mind and I've been describing it as Beetlejuice as a rabbit goes on a killing spree because totally. the voice was yeah. very reminiscent of Keaton as Beetlejuice. You know, and a lot of the mannerisms of uh, Rotten Tail were about the same, you know, that this it was almost like the honk honk, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. 
exactly. I, I, uh, I you know, I, I guess you could say in a way that, that that may have been somewhat of a subliminal inspiration because uh, uh, Beetlejuice and and uh, Michael Keaton's performance as Beetlejuice by far has been one of my favorite performances in a, in a horror comedy, which I think is a slept on genre. I think that oh, yeah. uh, a lot of the, a lot of the horror comedies are just tasteless. You know, they just go for the the, the, the meatballs and up the creek mm-hmm. humor. You know, uh, which which to me is just not well thought out and not smart. You know, I think that there's there's better ways of doing it. And Beetlejuice, you know, Tim Burton obviously he can't go wrong, but uh, but Beetlejuice as, as as a as a film in terms of how it was written, the 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 comedy in it is just so well constructed, and the and the the, the beats and moments that lead up to the punchlines that lead up to the physical comedy and everything else are just so well thought out and smart you know it, it does set the ladder high but i think that all horror comedies should shoot as high as they can uh you know that's just my personal opinion you know uh i'm just not as amused by uh by 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 the toilet uh, you know the the the, uh, the the frat the frat boy humor the, is the super low-hanging fruit yeah the super low-hanging fruit yeah yeah i think you can always reach higher oh yeah uh before we wrap this up if you could if you could pick any role to play what would it be um you know i've been asked that 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 question a lot over the years and it's just you just never know uh at least i don't know as an actor uh what role i'm gonna love most before i'm on set in in the creative process of bringing that character to life it's just very difficult to to tell uh, you know, one one character, you know, I, I may think it might be fun, you know, to play the role and find out that it's, you know, it's not a good time at all or, or whatever, or vice, vice versa. You know, I didn't realize how, uh, you know, because I enjoyed playing Richard Speck so much, I assumed that I might have a similar experience with, with, uh, with playing Ted Bundy, only to find out within three days of playing that character, I, I, I loathed you know the feeling i had at the end of every day you know so it's really hard to tell um it's more genre oriented you know recently i'm 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 getting to do some westerns uh which has always been my favorite one of my favorite genres with dead man's hand uh you know the brian skiba uh, directed film i was just talking about source point press graphic novel but uh uh, and then I'm, I'm about to star in another one. I leave in three days, actually, for California to start shooting um, The Place of Bones with uh, Tom Holland and Heather Graham, uh, which is a, which is going to be a, a really heavy uh, kind of, uh, uh, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's, all, it's almost, it's kind of a thriller in, in some respects, uh, but uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, stress and tension to, to it, you know, and, and it has a, has a twist at the end, which I will not reveal. That just is, is so unexpected and so out there. It just throws you for such a loop. It's 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 it, you know it, it's as good as the as as uh, you know M Night Shyamalan's first uh, you know first movie, uh, the one with Bruce Willis. Six cents. Six cents. Yeah, it's got one of those kind of twists to it where or Memento. You know what I mean? Where suddenly you get to a certain point late in the movie. Where you suddenly go, oh wait a minute, that that's what's been going on this whole time. <laughs> so it's got it's got a great uh, you know, which is very exciting, and that 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 I'm I'm, I'm extremely happy about. Uh, uh, I got another really cool film in this in, in the horror genre called Half Dead Fred, uh, which is about a medium detective. It's more of a, a film noir with some with some with some nice sting and thriller beats and all of that about a uh, a a. Um, uh, a detect a what do you call it? Um, a medium detective who is, is solves crimes by communicating with the dead and all of that. So, uh, 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 uh Bron a, a good friend of mine, I've done some other stuff with him in the past. He's the writer director of an indie, indie uh, total indie film, but has done really great at all the film festivals. Has won some awards and been really well received. I'm excited about that, and uh, um, uh, you know, I got. Uh, a number of other films coming out too, uh, uh, some some comedies, uh, Pet Detective with David Faustino, uh, a kids film, and uh, uh, again Lady Justice, the movie I just did, um, and then I'm start I start shooting another film that that I wrote and and am producing as well, 
mid-January that I'm shooting locally down here. It's a romantic comedy called The Shutdown, which uh, which oddly enough, you know, the the backdrop is is basically the year 2020 during the shutdown, and uh, and this guy's life. He owns a a uh, a um, an employment uh, an employee placement agency. So for obvious reasons, you know, <laughs> well. <laughs> You know, and he's losing everything. I, basically, the film is kind of a combination of the movie Falling Down meets Better Off Dead with the backdrop of 2020 as its, uh, you know, as, as the setting. And uh, myself, Vanessa Angel, uh, you know, uh, who's Hot Shots and uh, Spies Like Us and other, you know, really great films. Uh, uh, Jeremy London will also be in that and a, and a great supporting cast. Um, uh, very excited about that. I'm, uh, I'm actually producing that with my girlfriend too, uh, uh, Sabrina Nova, and and some guys down here locally uh, that I I I, I worked on the uh, the uh, comedy film Pet Detectives with with Faustino earlier uh, this year in January called the Scatter Brothers, and they're just fantastic, great guys. So I'm very excited about about that, and I have a I have a deal uh, with a company out in California to to, to produce these Lifetime Channel thrillers. Uh, which we did our first one in Mississippi. We'll do, be doing more down here in Southern Florida next year, uh, which uh, which I'll be writing and producing the majority of those, producing all of them, uh, acting in most of them, but uh, and and writing most of them. But uh, you know, if you can't wear every hat, eventually I'll, I'll I'm sure I'll direct uh, I'll direct some of them down the road. But you know, I want to uh, uh, take things slow and get all the right people in place so that I deliver you know high quality, uh, well written. Uh, well-produced stories, well-performed storylines uh, uh, that that, uh, that perform well uh, before I start putting on extra hats. You have a lot of upcoming projects. Uh, yeah, I also did um, uh, for for uh, TV. Uh, there's a, a it's a a, f- a film called Legacy. It's a backdoor pilot for a series uh, uh, playing a, an attorney. It's it's really a female-driven piece. Uh, but uh, the the uh, it's very well written, and I, you know I think there might be a chance of that going to series, which which is, in that case next year might you know might be uh, uh, having a series regular on on that legacy. So we'll we'll see what happens there. But uh, uh, so far so good, you know. Uh, there's some other projects too that I have coming out that I'm I'm completely forgetting about. Uh, but uh, it's it's been a it's been a crazy couple of years, uh, uh, fortunately, because as everybody experienced during you know. The last few years, things really came to a grinding halt, uh, especially in my industry. Um, but uh, but you know things are picking up now, and, and I'm looking forward to next year being just a, a you know a gangbusters because uh, both these films, as westerns, should be coming out almost back to back, along with all the other projects that that that, that I have coming out. Uh, so hopefully uh, it'll kind of be like carpet bombing, uh, uh, you know, the, the entertainment business with some with some really good movies. And, uh, and and getting myself into a position to really uh, solidify, uh, um, you know, my my desire to, to write and produce uh, quality films and television shows, even more so than acting in them. Well, and you know, twenty twenty three, the year of uh, Nemec. Where can listeners follow you on social media and keep up to date with all your upcoming uh, projects? Um, the best places, I mean, I, I, I believe my handle is the same across the board. It's the letter I and the letter M, uh, followed by my name, Corin Nemec. Uh, and, uh, so I am Corin Nemec or I'm Corin Nemec or, or short for instant message Corin Nemec is an easy way to remember it. So I'm Corin Nemec, uh, at, at Instagram, at, uh, at, uh, uh, Facebook, on Facebook, my fan site, and as well as Twitter, which I'm most active on Twitter. Uh, I only post on Instagram usually a couple times a month. Sometimes I forget altogether. Uh, but uh, and, and, and I'm somewhat active on Facebook. Uh, uh, but I have help in that arena. I'm just not, you know, uh, the, 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 the Twitter's distracting enough. <laughs> <laughs> Understatement. And listeners, I will link all of those in the episode description. And you can find me and other great podcasters over at electronicmediacollective.com or if you just want to stay in the know for Monster Mash and everything I have going on, head over to f- Facebook and Twitter and look up Moose Media Inc. Just look for the moose. Corin, this is this has been uh, interesting and fun yeah. and very insightful. And we we didn't even scratch 
the surface of your career. <laughs> I know. Yeah, there's a whole lot that's happened in between, and uh, and I have other I have a, a, other artistic outlets, you know, writing and and graffiti art and street art and all that that I've been doing since I was, you know, a young kid. And uh, uh, there's just you know a, a, a plethora of, of subject matters that, that that we can pick up on down the road. Uh, uh, we, we can theme them out. We can we can theme them out. Oh, yes, definitely. It means that I'll be back. <laughs> so, yep, definitely means you have to come back. Definitely, my friend. I'd love to. Love to. Listeners, you can find most of the movies that he's been in and the ones specifically that we talked about on Tubi on Amazon Prime. Just go look around. All over the place. He is yeah, all you have everywhere. Do, is do a search. Just search my name on the, uh, the search engine on, the, on your smart TV if you have one. Uh, uh, if you don't, just shout out the window to your neighbors uh, uh, if they if they've seen anything good on lately. But uh, but other than that, so, you know, uh, I'll, I'll definitely see you on the interwebs. Go check out his stuff. And until next time, horror hounds. Sean, my man.